0: Today's live on web episode, Masterclass on Autonomous Trucking, is sponsored by Freightliner Cascadia.
1: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us. We're back with you live from our offices in Arlington, Virginia, to talk about one of the most exciting topics in trucking today autonomous and platooning technologies. Earlier this month, Transport Topics led a panel discussion at American Trucking Association's annual conference that featured some of the biggest names operating in this emerging space. The feedback at the conference, as well as the questions we received prior to today's program has been nothing short of overwhelming. We've received well more than 100 questions and have shaped today's program to answer many of them. If you're watching live, you can interact with us by emailing share at ttnews.com or by commenting within this article page. In a few moments, we will be joined by TT Technology Editor Seth Clevenger, who will provide an overview of the companies developing these technologies. First, though, I want to bring in Fred Andersky. He is Director of, of Customer Solutions for the Controls Group and Government Affairs at Bendex Commercial Vehicle Systems. He holds a Class A CDL and often demonstrates advanced safety technologies, including stability control, collision mitigation, air disc brakes, and platooning. I have been fortunate enough to take part in several of the demonstrations. They are always educational and fun. Okay, Fred. As we reviewed the questions, it revealed some uncertainty among viewers about the different technologies. Oftentimes, the word driverless is being used. I know that you view driverless as something far different than automation or autonomous. Mm-hmm. So why don't we start simply. Can you explain these terms a little bit and give us some definitions about what we're going to be talking about today?
2: Sure, Neil, and and thank you for having me. Uh, This is really an exciting topic, but as you noted, it can be a confusing topic, especially with the way words get thrown around. So words really do matter in this case. So when we take a look at the words we're talking about, we really need to think of two areas. The first is automation. Okay, And automation still means that a... We're doing stuff to bring in uh, additional help, but a human is still involved, and that's where we get automate, automated from. In fact, it's one of my favorites uh, in terms of a word that has a definition that requires another definition, so when you think automated, think automation, but the key thing is it's reducing human intervention, but a human's still involved in it. So when we get then to autonomous and driverless, they really mean the same thing. Okay, we're putting in systems that do not have a human involved. And so a lot of times autonomous gets used as autonomous applications when really they're automated applications because we still have a driver. Now NHTSA uh, and really SAE came out with six levels of automation, zero being no automation at all, all the way up to level five, which is autonomous. Now, the easy way to distinguish between these levels, okay, levels zero through four still involve a driver in some way. By the time you get to four, it's a lot less, but there are still going to be situations with those level four systems where a driver may be involved.
1: Uh, uh, Level five, that would be sort of like this Google car that we hear about, no steering wheel, no driver. Right, level five is... That's five and not... not what are going to be about today?
2: Level five is driverless. So really the things that we'll talk about today kind of fall into the level two and three mm-hmm. uh, areas, to, so to speak. So those really kind of get into the definition. So automated and autonomous. Now, as we look moving forward, okay, the path to autonomous vehicles, and we talked about these five levels, but the other side of it involves communications, Okay, vehicle-to-vehicle, vehicle-to-infrastructure communications, more information into the system, as we'll talk about, will become important. So keep in mind those levels. Keep in mind automated versus autonomous slash driverless.
1: Okay, so first takeaway here, driverless, there may be a Google car, some others out there, but when we're talking about trucking, anything involving driverless, which decades out in the future. A a little bit later, I hope to get to maybe uh, going back to the panel I referenced, uh, what auto and there they were purchased by uber one of their futuristic visions but we're talking decades down the road at, at the panel and, and we had talked to mm-hmm. uh, sean Ward of the daimler said it was pretty clear that this is not driverless so so that would be one the words can be a bit interchanged mm-hmm. but um at, what you see on the screen right now is, is the vision we'll get to later about what something may look like we're talking 30 40 years down the mm-hmm. road and that might be optimistic. So just a little little teaser or something I hope to get to a little later in the program because that is interesting, but again, this is not driverless what we're going to be talking about. So we have the definitions now. There are building blocks toward this path of autonomous automated, and, and really those are safety technologies, <laughs> uh, active systems, advanced systems. Uh, I know that, that's very much what, Benedict what you're involved in. So why don't we take the next step here from the definition then walk us through what I like to call, and I stole this term, so forgive me, but the building blocks uh, of where this is heading.
2: Absolutely. Well, let's start with kind of the basics and what we call the Five Eyes of Active Safety and Future Autonomy. And when you think about any system, whether it's a stability system, a collision mitigation system, or an autonomous vehicle, these Five Eyes are important in that development. The first eye is information. And this is what comes into the vehicle either from sensors on the vehicle or it can also be information such as GPS or vehicle-to-vehicle, vehicle-to-infrastructure communications that come into the vehicle. The second eye is intelligence. This is the smarts that exist in the electronic control unit. These are the algorithms that are going to take that information, process it, and determine if we need to have the third eye in intervention. So in intervention, what we're doing is we're doing speed and direction variation to help mitigate a particular situation. So today with stability, for example, uh, we are able to intervene by applying the brakes on the steer, drive, and trailer axles. um, And we can also help the driver, because of the way we apply the brakes on the steer axle, to help the vehicle go where they need it to go. It's not steering, per se, but it does help. Then insight. All these systems are providing information um, or data that comes off the system that the fleet can use to help train drivers and do more. Last eye is integrity. And quite frankly, this is the one we added the most recently. It used to be just the four eyes. Uh, But the the fifth eye, integrity, really ties to ensuring that the other four eyes are delivered and working with confidence and pure, if you will, we're avoiding outside influences such as hack systems. You know, it involves cybersecurity to make sure everything's going to work the way it's supposed mm-hmm. to work. So when we start with those, then we get into kind of where we see the evolution of these technologies going, and it all starts with uh, it all started with ABS. When it really mm-hmm. comes down to it, with ABS, uh, what ABS did for us is it gave truck braking brains and sight. For 100 years before, braking was a mechanical function. Step on the pedal, wire moves, air flows, liquid moves, brakes apply. Now we added an electronic control unit, the brains, and we added wheel speed sensors, which gave us the insight. More information into the system. As we move forward, we add additional uh, sensors. So stability, we added a steer angle, lateral acceleration, and yaw rate sensor and we were able to have full stability or electronic stability control. In 2009, in our evolution, we added a radar that gave us wingman active cruise with braking or adaptive cruise control as it's generically known. Now we're not only helping the driver uh, in stability situations because the system's built on top of stability, but we're helping them in uh, maintaining a safe following distance behind a forward vehicle add some more intelligence to the system, and we get wingman advanced in 2011. Now we have adaptive cruise control and collision mitigation uh, to help the driver. And then finally, last year in 2015, we added an additional sensor to the system, a camera and a radar that work together to help do more to help drivers mitigate collisions. So for example, with Wingman Advanced, we were pretty comfortable giving the driver an alert on a stationary vehicle. With Wingman Fusion, we're more confident that we will brake Mm -hmm. for the stationary vehicle.
1: So uh, you mentioned braking. I know we have uh, a couple of videos that we're going to run through uh, fairly quickly. Why don't we take a look at the first one. This is, uh, you're behind the wheel, if, uh, if I yes. remember correctly yeah. here. Why don't we take a look at this uh, braking demo, and, and, and we'll come back here with Fred to, to to tell us about it.
2: One of the scenarios that Volvo Active Driver Assist can help you out with is the case of a stationary vehicle in your lane of travel. We're going to approach... Our line of cars here at about 25 miles an hour, and we will let the system intervene for us. Don't do this at home, because this doesn't replace your safe driving practices. Again, this is Volvo Active Driver Assist stationary vehicle braking scenario, a situation we hope you never find yourself in. So what that video was showing was the Volvo Active Driver Assist, which is engineered by Bendix, built on the fusion system using the camera, which you actually saw up in the window, and the radar, which is down on the front bumper, to help determine that we had a stationary vehicle in front of us, the information was cross-checked, and we applied the brakes, and were able to bring the truck to a stop before hitting the stationary vehicle more information into the system allows us to do more to help drivers in more situations. And as we look going down the path to autonomous vehicle, that's exactly what's happening. We're more sensors, more information into the system that allows us to do more to help in more situations.
1: I I want to stay, uh, real good information, I want to stay on this safety technology for a minute before we, we, we... Talk about where this is heading. Uh, I've, as I mentioned in the beginning, I've done a couple demos. With Fred, it, 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 I've always left with, with so many takeaways in my head. Sometimes it can be hard for me to digest them. One most recent one was uh, in August uh, up in Washington State at a, uh, a Packard, a technical center up there. Um, I, I was in the Fred, uh, is in the passenger seat here. Uh, I was. Actively taking it in while just holding, uh, I guess, my iPhone here. The stopping distance alerts—you can feel the braking here. Uh, why, why don't we take a look at this? I, I, I found it very interesting.
2: Stuff will come through the driver interface unit. Our first maneuvers are going to be following distance alerts, and following distance alerts are designed to let the driver know when he or she is getting too close to the vehicle in front. We have two. Um, we have. Above 37 miles per hour is our highway mode, Before 37 mi- below 37 miles an hour is our city mode. What's different is, in the city mode, we do a closer and closest alert, so our second level alert and our third level alert, and if Charlie backs away and comes back at him, we'll do alerts. In this particular scenario, we're running at one and a half and one second so that's one second following distance. Above 37 miles per hour we provide a third alert so think of it as close closer closest in terms of alerts. In this particular scenario it'll be at two seconds and the closer alert again at one and a half and the closest alert at one. We will have some braking throughout so please brace yourself as necessary. There's our first alert, our second alert, and our third alert. I have a second. We will also have our impact alert. Impact alert let Charlie know that he's getting a little close. The system realized we were going to have a collision and automatically applied the brakes. Charlie's foot was on the throttle, so we cut throttle applied the brakes. Charlie likes this maneuver, so we're going to do it again. (laughs)
1: So that demo went on for four or five additional minutes. We saw a number of the, the uh, different uh, technologies as, as we went around the track. Uh, something like that. And that braking that's done automatically. Uh, that, and that, that's a point to show that uh, hopefully won't get used, but it can break, it can prevent the collision in, in many instances. If not if not prevented, at least make it far less severe than it might otherwise be. Uh, something like that, uh, a demo like that, uh, is, is far more jarring when you break than anything I've done in a platooning or uh, autonomous uh, driving test where you expect some bells and whistles, and, and, and it's so smooth and, and simple, you're sort of saying, is this all there is to it? But it takes demos uh, like uh, what you just saw to, to really understand uh, the, how much goes in, uh, what's involved in this technology. Rather than just hearing it from me, uh, in 2015 I did another uh, demo uh, that, that Fred uh, and Bendix was involved. But this one included a couple UPS uh, uh, drivers. Uh, one, Paul Seville, uh, he's a member of uh, America's road team. Uh, Last October, a part of a live on web, uh, I interviewed him on a number of different subjects and we talked about the day We spent together uh, and someone who's who spent years on the road of safe driving Thought it was interesting to circle back a year later and and take a look at what his feeling was as he Tested out some of these safety technologies we've been talking about. So let's take a look at that clip.
3: I was reluctant about Doing some of the things that they were saying, hey, you go and do. I, we had the, you know, the instructor do it first. Yes.
1: But and, I, and very detailed instructions in a very controlled environment. There were a lot of safety measures in place, yeah. but we had to be a little risky to test the technologies out.
3: Exactly. So it really went against everything that I've trained and my driving methods, and and so so that's where I was reluctant at, is that. I did, that's, and and I mentioned that the guy, he said, the instructor said, you can go faster. And and I I remember one of my comments was, this is very unnatural to me. (laughs) And and I remember you making a comment about that, and and, uh, you know, I tried going as fast as I could, but I just wasn't going to go as fast as that instructor. But even then, I was still able to test out these safety features. the vehicle stability system. That was one where we just we just made a hard mm-hmm. U-turn kind of and and the brakes, the active braking would, would come on and selectively uh, activate certain brakes to prevent a, right. a rollover. Right. So I didn't do it as fast as that instructor, but I, I made some I of didn't them. Come either,
1: <laughs> and watching it from when you weren't in the vehicle to watch it from the sidelines you really got a sense as to the preventing the, the rollover. Right. It was a very different experience being inside the vehicle where you could sort of feel it, but then to witness how dramatic the rollover could have been without right. the safety additional set of safety wheels Absolutely. to prevent it from going over really opened uh, my eyes.
3: And one of the most amazing parts of it was when they had that dummy car, and it, was, it wasn't an actual car, it was just one made up, looked like a dummy right. car. And we drove up behind it. I think maybe 35 miles an hour. I think it was
1: actually 38. I went back oh, okay. and checked. But between 35 and 40, we're and going and phasing I, what looks like a car. You, go ahead. And,
3: and they said just keep your foot on the gas and don't don't let up. And and we're doing that. And you know, I still wanted to hit the brake, but I didn't. And then the truck, you know, the radar saw the car, and and then that active braking pushed the brakes for you, and and it stopped about three or four feet before this dummy car you but,
1: definitely any cross that threshold in your mind saying yeah. this shouldn't be happening it, yes. it, it, ha- it definitely that cross my mind that, you get that, past that point where you know something's supposed to be wrong and then it kicked in is that is that was that similar yeah. for you
3: and and you know at any point I know that I could have taken over uh, but I let it do its 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 thing its uh, process of stopping before hitting the car But I really wanted to put my my foot on the brake. Uh, But but in that sense, you know, that whole demonstration really shows how well those safety features work.
1: Okay, we're back. Uh, I just want to mention that that I know Paul would want me to mention that uh, he went on to talk about how all of his training... Is really what makes a safe driver that it was great to see those, but but those are things it 's good to know that he has in the back of his mind, but he is not um Uh, counting on them, and and I'm sure from the road team perspective uh, I I want to get that across. So, Fred, you heard that reaction. Is that typical when you go through these demos? He's someone who's been on the road a very long time, seen all sorts of things out there, but but what is the reaction you generally get when you go through
2: these? Really, Paul's is typical. I mean, a lot of times drivers may come into the demos with the, you know, I really don't need this technology, but when they see how it works how it's valuable, and how it doesn't really take control away from them unless it's absolutely necessary, they really buy into it. Because, you know, and that's the great thing about this technology is that we're not replacing drivers. Okay, it's driver assistance technology, it's not driver replacement. Safe drivers are still gonna be needed, and as you and I talked about a little bit earlier, they're gonna be needed for a long time. Okay, so yeah, it is really positive. So I wanted to take a second to uh, step back to a little bit and touch on this roadmap to autonomous vehicles uh, because this is kind of our plan in terms of how we're looking at moving forward uh, to get to eventually driverless. And as you can tell, first of all, from our time frame. You know, we're still talking semi-automated, semi-autonomous applications as far out as 2021. And in fact, uh, Faust and Sullivan did some research, and they really were showing level four technologies not out until 2030, 2035, and quite frankly, I think it could even be 2040 before we get into that. But the way we're going to get there is by building on top of active safety systems like a fusion system. You know, when you think about fusion, we've got sensors working together. Well, that's how we're going to get to autonomous vehicle. Camera and radar working together to help in collision mitigation, built on top of the stability system. So that's where we are today. As we move forward tomorrow in the next five years or so, we're going to really see advanced driver assistance systems. Um, and these are going to be things like driver supported platooning, which we'll talk a little bit more later. Things where we add steering control along with acceleration, deceleration control to help in lane keeping and even select traffic applications. You could see the situation where uh, a truck is in slow traffic, so the driver is able to flip a switch and we keep the truck going through that traffic. So kind of a traffic jam assist application, if you will. Further out, a little past 2021... We'll start to get into more of these highway autopilot types of things, and it's really bad to say the word autopilot, Um, but what this would be is where the driver is on, say, I-80 in Montana, able to put it into a... Uh, Control mode that really helps steer, drive, and watch what's going on, uh, enabling the driver to either uh, work on some other types of things during that application um, or just maybe catch up on some phone calls or things like that. So that's where we're going. As we go through these systems, we start changing control. Today we're doing acceleration, deceleration, or longitudinal control. We add steering uh, in the future. Um, And then what really becomes important are the fail-safes, the redundancies in the system. And also, too, when you have a situation like a highway pilot type of uh, scenario, suppose the driver does fall asleep. What are we going to do? Okay. Well, in that case, if we can't wake the driver up, we're going to need to be able to move the truck off to the side of the road until we can get to the driver's attention. Because uh, if you're like me, if suddenly you're alerted to something when that alarm goes off in the morning, I'm not real quick to uh, react. And so if you're in the middle of a situation, the driver's probably going to need a little bit of time. So it's better to get us. If we can't wake the driver up, let's get off the road and then try to wake them up, get them back on. We're going to talk
1: about a couple of these possible scenarios about what, what could happen in a few minutes. I just want to pause here for a second and remind everyone that you're watching Live on Web, our master class on autonomous trucking. Our sponsor is the Freightliner Cascadia. You can send in questions, share at ttnews.com. You can put them right directly into this article page. Um, you know, as we prepared for this program, which has been uh, six, eight weeks in the making, um, It seems that uh, a threshold had been crossed and the level of interest, uh, you know, it always was there on on some level, but a lot of it was, eh, it's sort of, is this real, is it not? It feels like something has changed and maybe it's our program, but but chances are it's these NHTSA guidelines that came out recently. generated a lot of reaction from the the passenger side car the 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 trucking side about what are they what do they mean what what do they say and just as importantly maybe what do they not say and and all and and we have talked about i know you have really been have have dug into them a few takeaways that maybe you could uh, briefly share with people that maybe are trying to figure out themselves. What what does uh, NHTSA's guidelines
2: mean? Yeah, this is the government affairs side of my job, so that's what we're at. The federal automated vehicles policy is what they call it, and note that note that word automated. So some driver involvement still throughout the process. But really, what NHTSA is trying to do here is technology is moving so fast. And let's face the fact, government regulatory uh, uh, um, processes don't move that fast. It takes some time. So what NHTSA did was they came out with the idea of guidelines to help kind of be flexible and nimble in the approach, but to give an idea to these folks who are developing these systems, the OEMs, suppliers like Bendix, and uh, even these technology startups like the Pelotons and the Autos of the World, an idea of what their expectations are going to be. Now, while they're guidelines, they do have some teeth, because NHTSA does reserve the right to recall and use other regulatory uh, actions that they have available today. So if you put a technology out there and you kind of don't follow the guidelines and they recall the technology, probably not a good thing to do. What's going to be key in these NHTSA guidelines is what they call the safety assessment. And this is a 15-point uh, document that the developers of these technologies, whoever they are, okay. so it's not just the OEs, suppliers, uh, technological supporters. Even if a fleet comes up with a concept, they're going to be involved in, in being able to cover these and so, um, what they have to do is you have to file this. Um, and Nits has even gone as far as to announce recently that they are going to actually promulgate a rulemaking next year to require this to happen. The other things that come into play as far as this policy goes, really quite interesting, is it covers everything. Okay, from. Uh, light duty vehicles to medium duty, all the way up to heavy. So even though there's a great picture of a car on the uh, cover of the guidelines, uh, it applies to everything. And it also applies to level two automation and higher. So as companies like Bendix look at adding steering along with acceleration control, we're going to have to follow these guidelines and bring things into play. Besides just the uh, uh, suppliers, they've also talked about model state policy to help get some consistency on the guidelines across the state. And one of the interesting things in that is that NHTSA talks about the fact that states can license the human driver, but NHTSA is responsible for licensing the technical driver or the driverless system. Mm -hmm. So that interplay is going to be interesting. And lastly, then their use of current regulatory tools, as we talked about recalls, and they're going to look to Congress to grant them some additional tools to be able to help them do this in the future. Last point, a flexible document, even in the document, and talks about an update occurring probably within a year. So this is going to be a living document as we
1: move and forward. One that- Voices, trucking voice uh, for multiple pieces of trucking passenger car. That they're going to be an opportunity for many different groups as this develops very, very rapidly. Absolutely. Uh, I'll, I'll mention how rapidly. Uh, I was just handed this not not long before we started. Uh, just this morning in San Francisco, uh, DOT Secretary Fox announced the establishment, or he will establish, an advisory committee on automation and transportation. A, ACAT, A-C-A-T, so more alphabet soup for all of us to get used to, uh, they, they're saying they will serve as a critical resource for the Department in framing federal policy for the continued development and deployment of automated transportation. So uh, I, I don't know much more than that, but but wanted to share piggybacking off the Nitsa conversation that, that how fluid uh, the situation is. We can't even... Uh, keep track of it uh, hour by hour anymore. Okay, let's pause here. We we are going to get deeper into platooning very shortly. I have a lot of questions that are coming in that we have. Uh, we're going to get into platooning, which likely will be the first thing that we see in some sort of real-life form out there. But another question we got quite often was... Who are the the companies that that are involved here? How many are there? The answer, uh, a lot and probably more than many people realize. So I want to turn, bring in Seth Clevenger, TT's technology editor. Hello, Seth. Hello. Thank you for being patient with us for a few minutes. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to you uh, to to provide some insight as to just how far and wide um, this movement is. Sure. Well, thanks again, Neil and Fred. And thanks
4: again to all of you for joining us for this discussion of automated driving technologies, a trend that has the potential to reshape the transportation industry in the years and decades ahead. I was actually scheduled to have a small speaking role on this subject a couple weeks ago at ATA's Management Conference and Exhibition in Las Vegas. But I was under the weather and completely lost my voice the day before. So it feels good to try this again, this time with fully functional vocal cords. Uh, To continue this discussion, let's uh, go ahead and take an expanded look across the trucking and automotive industries and review the latest developments in this emerging field. All of the Class 8 truck manufacturers in North America are demonstrating, developing, or researching automated driving technology in one form or another. I think most of you will remember the unveiling of Freightliner's self-driving inspiration truck last year at the Hoover Dam. And back in March, parent company Daimler demonstrated an updated version of its highway pilot system that enabled three semi-autonomous trucks to form a platoon on the German Autobahn. Peterbilt, meanwhile, has demonstrated a self-driving truck uh, using a prototype that uses lane keeping and a GPS navigation system to learn and repeat routes. Volvo is currently testing a fully autonomous truck in northern Sweden for use in underground mining applications. And just last week, Navistar demonstrated platooning technology on a test track in Indiana. The company is also involved in the University of Michigan's M-City facility a simulated urban environment for testing self-driving vehicles. And as, we, as we've already heard here today, providers of active safety technology including Bendix and Wabco are also lining up to play a role in this market. At the same time, component suppliers such as ZF and Bosch have been developing automated steering systems and sensor technologies to support self-driving vehicles. Now I saw some of these technologies firsthand earlier this year at ZF's global press event in Germany. The company demonstrated its Evasive Maneuver Assist System designed to help drivers steer around a vehicle or obstruction in situations where the truck can't avoid a forward collision through braking alone. I also rode along in a ZF concept truck that showcased the company's highway driving assist function on a test track. The driver took his hands off the wheel and let the technology automatically guide the truck around curves and keep it centered in its lane while also automatically accelerating and decelerating to keep a safe following distance from a passenger car on the track. Platooning, meanwhile, is also gaining momentum on the other side of the Atlantic. Earlier this year, six different truck manufacturers participated in the European Truck Platooning Challenge, where heavy trucks traveled in platoons on public roads in Sweden, Denmark, Germany, uh, and Belgium before arriving at their destination in the Netherlands. That event, initiated by the Dutch government, was organized to show that platooning is possible and bring the technology a step closer to implementation. And as you heard earlier from Fred, many of the key building blocks of autonomous driving are already on trucks today. Active safety systems already incorporate automatic emergency braking to prevent crashes or reduce their severity. Adaptive cruise control can automatically adjust both braking and acceleration to maintain a safe following distance. We also have lane departure warnings and the next step would be to add an automated steering function to turn those lane, keep, those lane departure warnings into a lane keeping system. And really, you can even think of the proliferation of automated transmissions as part of this overall trend toward automating the driving process, in this case, shifting. So we're already into the early stages of this evolution. And we have been for a while. And we see the same thing happening in passenger cars. So just take a moment to think about the car commercials you're seeing on TV these days. What are they advertising? What are the selling points? More and more, car makers are promoting driver assist safety features, such as automatic emergency forward braking. And now we're also seeing them promote lane keeping assistance, which brings a limited active steering component into the mix. Active lane keeping assist is designed to prevent the vehicle from drifting out of its lane due to driver fatigue or distraction, by taking corrective steering action to keep it centered. The driver must still be engaged with his or her hands on the wheel, but it's another safeguard and another step toward greater automation. Other driving, automated driving features, such as parallel parking assist and traffic jam assist, are also on the market now. Increasingly, these types of driver assist features are becoming available not only on luxury models, but also on a growing number of mid-market passenger vehicles, So it's not just on the the top-of-the-line Mercedes-Benz or a Tesla Model S anymore. The global passenger car OEMs all seem to be working on automated driving. For the car makers, technology really is becoming a key differentiator. It's a reason to buy a new car. Over time, this will provide economies of scale for the technologies used to support automated driving, especially the radar, camera, and possibly LIDAR sensors that detect and monitor the vehicle's surroundings. And that brings the cost of technology down for everyone, which could lead to faster adoption and the development of more advanced systems using a greater number of sensors. This also means that a growing number of Americans are going to be exposed to this. The motoring public is going to experience the technology firsthand, gain confidence in it, and become increasingly comfortable with it. And that really helps pave the way for more automation on commercial vehicles as well. And for this technology to take hold in trucking, I think we all agree that public acceptance of the technology will be essential. At the same time, technology companies have also been pushing the envelope in this emerging field. Google's driverless car project, of course, is probably the most famous example. The company has even shown a driverless car prototype that removes the steering wheel and pedals altogether. Uber, meanwhile, is developing self-driving cars in the context of ride-sharing, The company recently began allowing users to summon self-driving cars in Pittsburgh, although those cars still have a human in the driver's seat to monitor the vehicle. And Uber also recently jumped into the automated driving market for commercial vehicles through its acquisition of Auto, a startup founded by former Google engineers, which has been working to develop self-driving aftermarket kits for trucks. And another recent development, Mobileye, and Delphi announced an agreement to develop a fully autonomous driving platform that they hope to have ready for production in 2019. So when you really consider all of this activity, it's quite evident that this pursuit of automated driving and driver-assist technologies is the clear direction of the car and truck manufacturers and their suppliers. With that, let's go ahead and turn back to our panel for further
1: discussion. Thank you, Seth. Uh, as you can see, passenger car... Uh, uh, truck that, that this is happening. Just we have coverage on our website, ttnews.com. Uh, a colleague Jonathan Ryskin, was in Indiana at Navistar uh, event last week that involved some some platooning. So so this this continues to develop. Uh, let, let's talk about platooning here. Um, this this has been under development. It it has slowly rolled forward. Um, Peloton is one company that, in particular, has been working on this technology, has been one of the leaders, uh, I guess, out there in in, in media uh, events. Uh, Josh Switkis, uh, the uh, president, uh, uh, co-founder of Peloton, was on the the TT panel at ATA's uh, conference. Uh, We have a couple slides and a a video I want to show. I I think he did a real good job of, of breaking down just exactly what platooning is. So why don't we start our deeper look into platooning by turning to the video clip uh, of Josh, and we'll be back to talk about it further. Uh,
0: what you heard about a minute ago is, is platooning. The basic idea is to take the active safety systems that many of you are buying today. Uh, so you may be buying the Meritor-Wapco On Guard system, Bendix Wingman, uh, or Detroit Assurance. Um, uh, take those systems and connect them between a pair of trucks. So we have a direct wireless link between the two trucks. Uh, you can think of it sort of like Wi-Fi, but it's an automotive standard, much more reliable than Wi-Fi. Um, there's a constant communication link between the trucks. So whatever the front truck does, the rear truck knows about it basically instantly, uh, so within about a hundredth of a second. Um, so immediately when the front truck accelerates, we automatically accelerate the rear truck right along with it. When the front truck applies its brakes, we know about that immediately. Uh, and we actually know about it before the brake lag has occurred. So immediately when the brakes are applied, we're sending that information to the rear truck. So we're actually typically braking in the rear truck before the front truck has slowed down. Uh, This is something even the best driver in the world, even the best sensor in the world, can't do um, because there's nothing to sense yet, right? It's before that that truck has has physically slowed down. Um, So this creates a very high level of safety. We can prevent the most common accidents um, on the highway, which are these frontal collisions caused by just not reacting in time. And we do this completely automatically. So if your drivers are, are uh, you know, not paying attention for a few seconds, if they sneeze, something like that uh, at the wrong moment, the system will still react for them. Um, this type of system and, and the underpinning of it, uh, the uh, collision mitigation system, has shown great safety benefits. There are fleets we've talked to who, when they added collision mitigation and uh, lane departure warning systems, have seen an 80% reduction in accidents. Um, so I encourage all of you, even outside of platooning, if you're not already looking into those systems, please do. Uh, they can have a profound safety impact.
1: Okay, we're back. And, and thank you, Josh, both for doing the panel. Uh, Peloton provided some uh, information that I'll, I'll input a little bit later as we talk about some of the questions. Uh, they're not an active participant in our live on web today, but, but we're kind enough to, to devote some time to try to to provide some information. Fred over here, uh, he uh, has taken part in platooning demos. Um, Bendex is involved. We're going to get into that in a sec. Why don't we go to a clip uh, of Fred. uh, He is part of this demo. Let's take a look at this clip, and we're going to come back, and Fred's going to tell us about uh, what the experience was like and a little bit more about platooning. So let's go to that clip now. Okay, if you look very closely, if you've noticed today, that finger that you saw in that video, that was Fred's finger. That, that, that was him. So, all right, I'm, I'm kidding about that, but l- let's turn to Fred here. Why don't you walk us through a little bit what we saw, uh, what went on there, and then what that experience was like.
2: Well, it was my finger, but I was also driving too, so um, that's where the rest of me was at that point in time. So what we were taking a look at is, um, first off, Bendix is working with Peloton um, and has been working on it and you probably recognize some of the graphics that was the Peloton system uh, which uh, uh, we are working with them um, as well as with others in terms of platooning but what we did in that particular case is we were engaging the platooning system so um, as the driver I've flipped down the switch, and what the platooning system did was it first of all said we were too far. Then it said we are ready for platooning, and then it brought the trucks together okay, to about a 12-meter following distance, which is around 39-40 foot, Um, and we kept platooning at that uh, that, uh, distance uh, for a bit of time. So the things that you saw is, first of all, that little monitor I wanted to point out. The monitor is also not only for bringing in information about the system, but it relays the video from the forward camera to the rear, the forward truck camera to the rear truck. So that rear driver, in that particular case that was me, is able to see what's going on in front of the forward truck. Um, The system is using the 5.9 gigahertz um, DSRC communications to work together to bring things uh, into the platooning function and one of the things you didn't get to see but I, I did get to experience which really impressed me about the system was that when the truck in front of me the brake lights would go on almost instantaneously my brakes were being applied to again help maintain that platooning distance between the vehicles. So it is a, it's a really impressive system and uh, it's still in testing so we still have some work to do because demos are always great, but it's the real world where things <laughs> get kind of screwy. So, um, but it is, it is very impressive in terms of how it works.
1: So the, the North American uh, Council on Freight Efficiency, uh, just be- they, they took part in, in our panel at uh, ATA's conference. And just beforehand, um, they released a, one of their confidence reports on platooning. Uh, I'm not speaking on their behalf, but uh, they were kind enough to provide us a few slides. I, I just want to quickly go through a few of their findings. Um, the, the full the full report and some videos and other information is available on their website. Uh, some of the benefits: the fuel economy is, is always touted. Their findings, what they call real world, is about 4% on average. The front truck, I know, at least in the demo of the testing, the rear truck sometimes is talked about up to 10% a um, lot of, lot of real-world factors out there, you see them listed. What routes, what equipment uh, is being used, uh, congestion, you know, all sorts of other factors. Uh, they, they were very open uh, about challenges. They interviewed a whole uh, wide range of people, ROI, uh, we'll get into that in a minute. That, that's something, no matter what we're talking about, that's always important. How quickly would drivers accept it, especially the second driver, maybe we'll touch on that in a minute. Uh, system security. Fred touched on that. Cybersecurity is, is always a growing question in this conversation. Uh, how reliable? Uh, I think um, our my experience has been, uh, at least in the demos and some of the real on road that I've done and seen, uh, it. it I'm still here to talk about it, so so that's a good thing. Um, some of their findings and recommendations, I do want to point out, they this came before we were talking about it, unfairly grouped as autonomous, the slide before, it will increase adoption of safety technologies. Some of these same themes that we have been talking about comes from uh, their... Report driver stress less than perceived uh, that that can uh, we've got some questions about it some um, I think might be a little skeptical of that uh, but but that was their finding they're talking to a lot of drivers a lot of fleets so so again that is NAF uh, sorry NACFE their confidence report on two truck platooning I want to point that out too talking about two truck platooning and and we're going to come back to that in a minute as well why don't we also go to a slide that Peloton provided to quickly look at regulations. uh, in relation to truck platooning. Uh, This was provided a few weeks ago. I I don't know any updates yet. As you can see, this map is pretty filled in. Uh, Ten states listed for approval. Uh, Michigan, I know, is one that's looking further at... at, at, There's some pending legislation there. Uh, I don't think it's passed yet, but it still might this year to make it even easier there. Michigan is one state very interested in this. Uh, Nevada, uh, you see states in in process, different levels. A lot of this is about... um, is about following distance. So following distance rules may be on the books, meant for safety. Obviously, uh, this platooning concept sort of uh, changes the picture about you know what tailgating, what sort of dangerous tailgating in a platooning situation may be safer so on some it's as simple as what is a letter of the law within that state i'll mention where we did the conference in nevada uh, they're a state. whether it be the self-driving platooning they're, they're another example of a state very uh, active interested in nurturing this technology working with the trucking industry fleet suppliers uh, uh, and so the platooning is one area more than the driverless stuff wh- where you see from that map um, things are developing quickly, and I'm sure it will continue to. In fact, and I want to turn it to the, the full panel now, um, you know, Peloton made the case that in 2017, this, their system could begin to roll out, maybe in some limited applications, some real-world applications. Do you see that this could happen? You're involved on, on some mm-hmm. level. not asking you to speak on their behalf, but you're involved in these demos. Where do you feel that platooning stands right now?
2: So where I think platooning is, is um, it's getting to the point where we can do some real-world testing of the platooning system, meaning real routes with real fleets with real drivers uh, and to see what's going on. Because from my perspective, there's still a lot of questions that we have to answer about platooning technology, Um, the impact on the driver, um, the impacts on the vehicle, the combination of maintenance and everything that goes into braking system and such from that standpoint. So I appreciate Peloton's optimism, um, but I think that more realistically, we'll see 2017 doing a lot of field trials and testing. That information comes back in and that's really gonna probably dictate the timing of a launch. Could be as early as 2018, maybe a little later, like 2019.
1: But things are happening here. There's things no are way happened. around it. Even yeah. the biggest skeptic needs to come leave here today understanding, at least uh, on yes. the platooning side, this is happening. Uh,
2: it, so. is, it is moving forward, and, uh, and that's, that's great. But I also think people sometimes get confused that, oh, we need to have platooning first before we get to autonomous vehicles. And really, they're parallel paths. Platooning is an application of uh, autonomous or automated technology. Um, and so that has an evolution path on its own, uh, as does the automated to autonomous vehicle development. So we're not giving up everything at Bendix to focus in on platooning. We're focusing in on that, but we're also focusing in on how we improve right. our advanced driver assistance systems.
4: Yeah. I think it also helps to keep in mind that this you know, first generation of platooning that we've been uh, talking about uh, still involves active steering from the driver. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's... you know, you know, feet off the pedal but still hands on the wheel and, and eyes on the road, uh, that's going to be the first generation of platooning that we uh, see in the in the relatively near-term future.
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'll jump in in terms of uh, what, what Daimler showed and, and, and Seth alluded to. I, I was in Dusseldorf in March where they did a uh, three-truck platoon, and it was also autonomous platooning. Uh, it was a Peloton system for now, and they made very clear at the panel and otherwise – Everyone is steering, front, back, and they're focused on two-truck. That is what the, uh, the confidence report we talked about, and that's where we're starting. Uh, I think longer term, you, there will be continued advancements where you figure there would be some automated steering set that was in Germany on a separate trip and experience that, and you figure possibly longer term there could be more than two trucks. What I experienced, and I was in the middle of three trucks. This was on a public road on the Autobahn. So uh, there were other cars in the left lane, and and on those roads they go by awfully quickly. It's not a myth, they they, they sure do. I was in the middle one, driver, hands, feet off the wheel, and and what happened was the the first truck was at the set distance, behind us a set distance, uh, one of their cars, a a Mercedes car came and cut us off. Uh, I cut between the second and third. Not so much that there was a jarring stop, but enough that automatically, nothing, no driver assistance, automatically expanded back the distance. We followed on this Highway Pilot Connect. That's a system that, that, that a Daimler Freightliner has, the Hoover Dam. Was, and then as soon as the car exited, automatically they came back and you watched the distance on the Highway Pilot Connect, look in the mirror. The, the people in the first truck, I talked to them when we got out. They had no idea, no idea that this had happened. Uh, they almost regretted that they were in the first truck uh, as opposed to what I was seeing. They had no they went back, went up, no hands, hands feet off. And, and again, that's not where we are now, 1819. That was a demo, it was a real world, but it was a demo, but it does show uh, um, that, that the movement, the possibilities that are there. I see questions coming in to stick on the three trucks. We are starting in two trucks. Uh, I I know that uh, at the Diamond one, they talked about, hey, we could do as many as 10 trucks, hypothetically. That's a football field if if you think about it that way. Uh, From Peloton, I talked to the Peloton executives. There is some sort of diminishing returns as you get further back. Some of the fuel economy you may lose. But you need to start with two. That was their message. You need to start with two. You need to do the steering. You need to show it's safe. You need to get acceptance. And then there are other possibilities. Uh, you know, I I see coming in, well, what about if there are three trucks or more in the right lane? How am I supposed to exit? Well, we need to work through this. I mean, there are sensors to say we're platooning. There are ways you can break out of the platoon very simply. You're not stuck in a platoon. You're not stuck there. You tap the brakes. You just get out of it. you're You're electronically linked, but... It's not, you know, otherwise you're fine. So, so the, all of those things are, are developing, but you, you talked about the electronic, and I just wanted to bring up the three or more that's a question we're getting. Let's go back to some of the braking questions in relation to this that we're getting a lot of. I see both on my screen and here. Uh, what would, let me throw out two to start. Will platooning have an impact on disc brake adoption uh, and also sticking on the braking theme, what is the minimum braking system requirement for platooning?
2: So basically, um, air disc brakes have actually been doing really well on their own, but when you really come down to it, you know, the air disc brake technology is the most powerful braking. Uh, wheel end technology that's out there. Drum brakes are very good, but drum brakes are still susceptible to fade as well as other issues. Air disc brakes, though, very strong. So our expectation is that at the very least, the tractors are going to need to have air disc brakes uh, in the platooning uh, setup. Um, Best would be to have it all the way around, but at the very least, the the, uh, the tractors are going to have it The other thing, too, is in terms of uh, 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 brake functionality and and things along those lines, one of the really important things that's going to come down in terms of brakes uh, is going to be the maintenance aspect, okay? Because even with disc brakes, you want to make sure that those brakes and tires are in good condition because if that system has to react to an emergency brake-type situation, you want to be sure that both trucks are equipped and prepared to be able to do that. Stability is also going to be important in this case because, again, we still have two drivers, at least in this initial vision of platooning. So if the situation calls for it and the driver is able to swerve, you know he's going to do that and stability is going to be important. And lastly, the collision mitigation technology. As Josh said in the video, uh, um, in, in his clip, The platooning technology utilizes the collision mitigation technology, the radar and the camera, uh, to work together. What's important about that is on that forward truck, for example, you want to be able to ensure that you could use adaptive cruise control to keep a safe following distance, or that if things go awry, there's technology that can hit the brakes on the front truck, then we'll apply the brakes on the back truck Mm -hmm. as that happens. So air disc brakes... Good tires, good maintenance, that's going to be important for, especially in the platooning testing, and I see moving forward with it in commercialization.
1: Let's, let's stick on the equipment theme here. A couple people have asked about, do you need an automatic transmission for platooning related to that? You know, can it be retrofit? You don't need some new vehicle. Can you just talk a little bit more about sure. some, of the, some of the other equipment-related issues that, that, that need to be addressed?
2: Sure. In terms of the um, automated manual or automatics versus manual transmissions, doesn't matter. You can do platooning um, in uh, either of those or any of those situations. Uh, In fact, I remember when I was out at Peloton, the first truck I drove in platooning was a manual transmission. What happens is obviously if the truck is slowing down, you're going to have to put the clutch in and change your gear in that case. But with everyone moving towards automated manual, automatic transmission technology, I don't think it's gonna really be an issue because more and more fleets are going that way. And when you think about the technology you're gonna need for uh, true autonomous vehicles, automated manuals, automatic transmissions are really the route that that we're gonna go. I'm sorry for all the old truckers out there who love manual, but even those guys I hear really like the automated manuals. It is gonna go that route. In terms, I'm sorry, I was just gonna say in terms of retrofit, I think that's where Mm -hmm. you wanted to go next. Um, yes, actually, um, the technology will likely launch being retrofittable. Um, but keep in mind, you know, your your dad's Mac uh, from 1959, <laughs> it's not going to get retrofitted for a platoon. Okay, it's going to have to be, you know, more modern trucks with safety technology, stability, collision mitigation technology, obviously the J1939 operating can. For that to be retrofit. But we do expect the start of this will be retrofit. Okay.
1: Uh, let me go. I have some more here. Some sure. that are coming in live. And uh, with a gap of about 12 meters, that's what, about 40 feet or so we're talking mm-hmm. about. How fast are you driving? So, in your demo or whether what you showed, what, what's your the approximate speed? Are we talking about we highway doing, speed? Yeah, too, we were right?
2: doing 65. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in that, that
1: demo. That was my experience, just, yeah. just, just to be clear. I didn't, didn't mention that in, in, in what I've done have been approximate highway speeds. As I said, certainly not what was going on in the left lane when, when I was experiencing it. Some, some scary stuff over there. Uh, fleet acceptance is an issue. A driver, and there's a separate on, on, on driver. Was, uh, that's a separate. So let's talk about fleet acceptance especially. Do you so foresee platooning to be done within a fleet or between fleets?
2: Okay. Well, let's start with uh, the fleet acceptance in our... Um... In our fleet council demo that we did last year, we talked to our fleets afterwards about what did they think in terms of stuff. And and I was actually surprised that for some fleets, yeah, there is that possibility that this could be an option for them. For other fleets, not so much. So they, they, they weren't really interested in it. And when you think about it, where platooning works really good are for those fleets that, are, that have a couple of trucks that are moving from point A to point B and back and are usually running together. I mean, I think those are the fleets that are going to really start off with it. But when we get into, you know, other types of fleets, again, probably van trailers, we haven't really done any testing on different types, but I don't imagine tanker fleets, I don't imagine they're going to be allowed (laughs) to platoon because of the risk, you know, two gasoline tankers running together. May not be a, a really good idea, but that you know that's where, where they're going to to, uh, to to start with those types of fleets where it can work together.
1: So someone had asked about a flatbed benefit. Uh, no. I'll mention from what Peloton had sent in, feeling that flatbed is less than than a, a box van trailer, less fuel economy. Uh, you know, in relation to uh, less rear drag, but again, it is possible. But, but it, a lot of this is about the right routes, the right fleets, you know, are they going to work together? Uh, I think some uh, actually uh, data in the past, I know they're working on a lot of stuff moving forward, There's a little dated now. Then hey, uh, is the owner o- our owner-operator is going to be more likely to work with owner-operators, maybe, I mean, compared with fleet versus fleet. So who is yep. going to be in the front back with the fuel economy? I mean, th- there are a <laughs> lot of these things still need to be worked out. Uh, but I-, I think one thing we're trying to get across is this technology is moving forward. It's a lot of the peripheral uh, issues well, that still need to be addressed.
2: Well, let's touch on the, that interfleet versus intra-fleet platooning. Um, from our perspective, it's going to start within the fleet, so intra, intra-fleet platooning is what's going to happen. The reason why inter-fleet platooning, or fleets uh, 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 um, platooning between different fleets, um, it's a great concept, but it's a difficult implementation because you don't know necessarily how good of a job Fleet A is doing on their maintenance or Fleet B is doing on their maintenance, what their trucks are like, what their driver training is like, and things like that. I would wager that for fleets, their chief legal counsels uh, or their lawyers are going to say, if you want to do it together, great, but... Not with somebody else, until some standards or some things get in that says if you're going to platoon, you have to do this. But the risk is, the risk is pretty high. and as you mentioned too, it's the who goes in front, who goes in back. That can vary based on load, uh, current weight of the vehicle, you know, the braking system, a variety of things. So I think within a fleet where you can have more control, we'll see platooning blossom for those fleets that it works. In Interf- or interfleet, much farther out there. I
4: yeah, know Peloton has, uh, you know, made the point that at launch they want to have that uh, interfleet uh, capability. So if there are two mm-hmm. fleets that do want to uh, team up and, and platoon together, uh, that will be possible. But I, I do think that the, the general understanding is that this will probably, um, you know, first go to market and first be, you know, really used and, in, in, Intra-fleet applications.
2: Yeah, what we saw from our fleet council is that was probably the one question that almost all 25 members of our fleet council were pretty unanimous on now We're not going to do We're not going to run with other fleets uh, if we're doing if we're going to do platooning So I think there's some work that has to be done to ensure the safety performance uh, and like I said some standards that are going to be in place to make sure that if fleets are going to platoon together, these characteristics, air disc brakes, good tires, good maintenance, good driver training, those things are taken care of and certified. Uh,
1: A question that just came in, uh, I just want to get to, um, uh, is there issues with controlling platooning between trucks with different powertrains? Uh, uh, You know, different trucks, uh, my understanding is they can work, uh, you know, OEMX and and, yeah. and, and Y will we'll be able to as long as the system they both have the system it'll be set up Yeah Is for I our correct in that? Yeah,
2: for our demo we were running a uh, Peterbilt and a Kenworth mm-hmm. uh, in terms of things for uh, it, it's yeah, different drivetrains, different OE makes, that's not going to be that's not going to be an issue.
1: Last platooning question and as we begin to wrap up I want to get into have a little speed round maybe on a couple of the larger autonomous and futuristic questions. <laughs> How does platooning boost driver productivity? You still need one driver, one truck. So what, what, why am I investing on all this technology for all this? How would I have a? I'll get to what, what Peloton is, we've talked about yep. there. How would you answer that for someone saying, "Okay, you still need a driver, so?" Huh?
2: Yeah, so driver productivity. Um, I think the vision on that is, you know, the driver in the rear. Um, you know, maybe uh, less or or, or or less stressed or a little more relaxed, and, and, and can and, and can go longer. And there is some there is some proof of that. We we saw early on when we came out with adaptive cruise control, for example, that drivers um, would would respond that you know they felt better at the end of their shift mm-hmm. after using uh, adaptive cruise control as opposed to not. And So I think that might be where some of the uh, some of that vision comes in. Quite frankly, I think the productivity gains or or the the gains are in other areas. It's the fuel economy. Uh, It's helping to improve the safety. Um, It's uh, uh, probably helping keep the uptime uh, moving forward and such from that perspective, more so than driver. Where the real driver productivity, I think, comes in, as you saw, when you've got one truck that has two pup trucks, if you will, following behind it with no driver in that particular case. That's when you're going to really see that driver productivity shoot up.
1: Uh, you, you hit some of these bullet points uh, pretty much dead on, so I'm, I'm, oh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on to table. And Josh and I did
2: not talk no, before this. No, I, I
1: got this not, not, not all that long before we went on the air, but, but, but you really hit that on the head. On the head. Uh, one question um Uh, We had prepped a a clip, Uh, one we get is about liability, is about insurance in in relation to this. Who's responsible if something goes wrong? Um, We're going to put up, when we're done, uh, besides putting up our replay, we're going to put up a separate Live on Web extra clip from the panel at, uh, uh, that we did at ATA's conference, it's about five minutes long. I, I found it very interesting. It- it's individually from Josh uh, 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 of Peloton, Anthony Lewandowski of Otto, and Sean Waters of Daimler, each taking their own perspective of their technology, of their development, and sort of uh, providing, a- and when there is no, much as some of the things we're talking about, there's no set answers yet, the guidelines, the rules. But uh, for for the many people that have sent in about uh, liability, uh, they had pretty direct answers uh, and I would encourage you, to to listen directly to what they have to say, and and they're ready to stand behind, in in short, they're ready to stand behind what they're developing, technology, equipment, whatever the case may be. So uh, we're not going to be able to get to it. We are going to put it up. Uh, I would encourage the, the number of people that sent in about that question to take a look at that, because rather than hearing it from me, you might as well hear it directly from them. Uh, Just a couple other, uh, leaving the platooning area, which we probably could go on for for a long time. And and that's a great thing, and uh, how interesting and exciting what what is transpiring in trucking uh, is right now. Do autonomous cars have to be widely accepted before trucks?
2: That's a a great question, and that's probably one that we're going to find out uh, over time. But from my perspective... I do believe that, yes, autonomous car technology needs to lead the way. We talked a little bit earlier about my five-year theory. If it happens on cars, five years later it will be on trucks. Um, I think that is going to be the case. Trucking makes a great case around the efficiency aspect of uh, autonomous technology. But I think the bigger issues we have are the public acceptance. I think the 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 public needs to get comfortable with the idea of autonomous vehicles, um, of 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 driverless technology, before they're going. They're they're going to want to see it on their light vehicles before they see an 80,000 pound or maybe even 125,000 pound vehicle rolling down the road without a driver. So it may not be so much from the technology standpoint. Um, As much as from the public acceptance, and I do think there is a cost play here, too Obviously you build 15 million cars a year Yeah, build 300 400,000 trucks getting that technology getting the cost of those sensors down So the return on investment for the trucking industry is there is going to be important And that's why I also think the auto industry is going to lead on that
1: Is our infrastructure ready in relation to that? Does that mean we need things like, and I'm borrowing from our viewers uh, with these great questions, is there a need dedicated, technology-enabled highways? Is there a need for a national operations center? Uh, there, there are other terms yeah. thrown around. So where do you view, uh, we, we talk about, we've done live on webs on road funding and crumbling infrastructure. Yep. So, so with w- that fight still going on, right, it, we have a highway bill now, but uh, 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 that's a whole other program. Is the infrastructure ready? What else needs to happen to make platooning autonomous and one-day driverless?
2: Well, like you said, our infrastructure is not even ready for trucking today, so let alone in the future. But... um, One of the things that NHTSA mentioned in the Federal Automated Vehicles Policy is that part of the reason for helping to move autonomous technology forward is the belief that maybe we can do more with our existing infrastructure if we have these Mm -hmm. autonomous applications. I'm always reminded of the movie Minority Report with Tom Cruise, and you might remember the cars were all autonomous, and they could travel within a foot of each other, zipping 60 miles an hour or so down the road. That type of thing could improve efficiency, um, which then could allow us not to have huge infrastructure builds, but getting more efficiency out of it. I think the important things that we need to focus on to help drive these autonomous uh, applications or even automated applications in the future, we need things like The roads need to be mapped properly. The roads need to have good, clear lines. We need to have infrastructure to vehicle communication so if those lines are covered up, there's at least information coming in to let a vehicle know where it's at. These are some of the basic things that we need to have in place to really get to higher levels of autonomy uh, and automation, and even then to get to driverless in the future. So that's where we need to, we, we really need to focus to start. And there may be some other things in there, too. But I think the idea of separate lanes is good, and we may see that, but... We really don't have the money to build those lanes. What I could see happening is there may be, um, as we talked about, HOV lanes that become automated vehicle lanes um, that allow that technology to go that. There could be roads and routes that are maybe dedicated solely to uh, autonomous applications. So guys like me who would like to drive may have to take the long way, Uh, things like that. But I think all those things are going to come down the road. What would help us now is nice, lines in the road <laughs> that cameras can read, and nice information coming to the truck.
1: And, and that's a question, we're, we're running out of time here, but um, the, we've gotten questions about the markings, about that, you know, in snow and ice, we're not there yet, even in a demo state. I sure. don't mean we, I'm not, I'm not building it myself. I'm speaking, you know, in, in the larger we here. Uh, it does feel that some progress has been made in terms of recognizing pedestrians. That had mm-hmm. been one of them. It feels mm-hmm. like some, pro- Not, we're not fully there yet. I got one small smaller objects like animals i know when i i i with my canadian colleagues moose always come yeah. up and i'm waiting for someone to answer <laughs> so they're not quite there yet but even in since it started in a really 24 months maybe a little bit more what had been what about pedestrians well we're not yeah. there yet might not be fully there, but, but they're getting there and i think weather in relation to the markings if it's a snowstorm fog rain well that's why we're going to have a driver. That's what we've been right. saying all along today. Is, is that a fair assessment as we begin to wrap up? Here? Yeah, I,
2: I really, I really think so. I mean, as everyone has seen, all these videos and stuff are really done on beautiful days, um, and things. People be, notice that. Yes, and yeah, that's why I just yeah. wanted to address it. While and that's good. And, and 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 quite uh, quite factually. Um, we're going to need to get to a point where we're able to work in all conditions. To truly get to level five as, uh, as SAE defined it, this is an autonomous vehicle that can work anywhere in any conditions, okay? So we're gonna need to get there. But I think as we, as we start to get there, you're gonna see rules in place. You're not gonna be running your platoon on an ice-covered roadway. Things like that. Those are going to be the basic things to start. We'll get there eventually, but it's going to take a, a longer time.
1: Uh, just before I sign off, I want to go back. I, I mentioned earlier about this auto slide. Uh, this is, just to, just to recap, this is one vision of something 30, 40 years down the road. Uh, so you see some of the cost savings from taking out some of the driver comfort, which is such a critical element. We've seen recently multiple new truck models being rolled out driver comfort, uh, a major part uh, of the, the selling points and the materials. So uh, Anthony Lewandowski is on the panel. We, we have a clip we're not going to get to. We're also going to put that up as a live on Web Extra. I encourage you to, look, uh, to take a, a view of that and to see. Uh, what he has to say is he looks 30, 40 years out. He's an in, it, we spent some time, with Seth, uh, after the panel, we, we sat down with him. The interesting guy uh, has a very clear vision of where we're going. He sees that where we're going, but it, it acknowledges it's a long time in the future. But uh I have a feeling we'll, we have not heard the last of the auto Uber, but that's a little bit down the road. That's a driverless, and I hope uh, takeaway remains. That's then, and, and we have this platooning and autonomous and, and these baby steps. And, and we're going to unfortunately have to wrap it up here. went by very quickly. I'm sorry if we did not get to your questions. I have a feeling this is not the last time Live on Web is going to be talking about this topic. I, I will mention, if you missed part of the show or just want to watch it again, a replay will be posted later on our website, ttnews.com, and at liveonweb.ttnews.com, along with the extras that I had been referencing. Uh, we may have a few goodies that they did not mention. So, so we encourage, if you are interested in this, we, we have some things planned for you. I'd like to thank our guests, Fred Andersky of Bendex, and also Seth uh, Clevenger of TT, our technology editor, for sitting in with us. I also want to thank our sponsor, Freightliner Cascadia, and our production team behind the scenes that helped make Live on Web happen. Until next time, I'm Neil Apt, Editorial Director of Transport Topics. Thank you for watching.